Hi, writers. Welcome to our new episode on the craft of writing fiction. This is Jim Thayer. I'd like to talk today about developing a distinctive voice for our stories. Voice is a term of art in writing. It is the tone used by the novel's narrator, by the writer, as he tells the story. Elizabeth Berg says, quote, Voice is most simply defined as the way you tell a story, your style. It is not necessarily the way you talk, although it can be. Rather, it is the personality beneath the words, the current that runs through a story, the thing the reader must be able to believe in and trust. That's Elizabeth Berg. If we write a page without thinking about voice, what, what we'll end up with is our voice. Uh, read it aloud. It's our voice. It's, it's probably great for what we are writing. That's our natural style, our voice. It's me and my writing, and it's you and your writing. It's, it's the easiest to write, our natural voice, because we don't have to think about it or worry about it. It's consistently our own voice. I've heard a number of times that my novels sound like me talking. Yours may sound like you talking, too. Here are some things that make for a distinctive voice. Uh, Word choice. Uh, Mark Twain in Huckleberry Finn uh, chooses different words than Charles Dickens in A Tale of Two Cities. Sentence length. Uh, A famous comparison of sentence length is the difference between Ernest Hemingway's short sentences, which are short and blunt, with William Faulkner's more stream-of-consciousness long sentences, say in Absalon, Absalon. Uh, Short sentences often create a feeling of energy, while longer sentences can give uh, the reader a feeling of dreaminess. Another thing that makes for a distinctive voice is... Sentence structure. Uh, Subject, verb, few modifiers may create an energetic voice. Long, complex, or compound sentences with dependent phrases may create a more thoughtful voice. Another thing that leads to a distinctive voice is the use of slang. Uh, For example, train spotting by Irvine Welsh takes place in Edinburgh with young characters. Beloved by Toni Morrison, this, uh, the novel features a group of African-American slaves who use a lot of African-American slang. Or A Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess. It's, it's uh, set in the wrecked future and the characters speak in a heavy slang, an argot that's called na- nadsat. Or The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, which are teenagers who use slang from the 1960s. These, these novels gain much of their distinctiveness and pleasure for us readers by the use of uh, distinctive and singular voices. Here are some reasons to develop, to develop a distinctive voice, one that's not your normal voice. Uh, The first is, if your first-person narrator is from a different time or has a distinctive personality, one of the funniest novels I've ever read, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, age 13 and three quarters, 
uses the hilarious voice of the narrator, Adrian. He is insecure and he's needy, but he's blunt and he has a short horizon. And these things add a wonderful element to the story. His voice does. Uh, Another thing, another reason to develop a, a, a singular voice is the novel's setting. Uh, maybe it's London 200 years ago, or Biloxi 80 years ago, or Middle Earth from Lord of the Rings, or Ericus, the, the desert planet from Dune. Sometimes a new and unusual setting is helped by a distinctive voice. Charles Dickens, in a tale of Two Cities, uses a fatalistic, soon-to-be-doomed voice for the novel. Uh, Sidney Carton's famous quotation from A Tale of Two Cities, It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest I go to than I have ever known. This is one of literature's loveliest sentences. But it's not how real people talk, at least no one I've ever met. And it is Dickens' singular voice about a novel set during the French Revolution. His voice in the novel is deliberate, and it adds an enormous weight to the story. And it's a great pleasure to read. Uh, another reason we might develop a distinctive voice is that some genres often have distinctive voices, ones readers expect. Detective novels sometimes are written with a clipped, edgy voice and, and sound like Edgar G. Robinson in the movie Double Indemnity. Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, James M. Cain, Mickey Spillane, Ross MacDonald, these writers of detective novels, novels used a certain hard-boiled, flat-foot voice. Uh, romance novels can benefit from a lush, on-the-edge-of-stream-of-consciousness uh, voice. And there are other novels that sometimes have a certain voice, but not always. Most detective and romance novels are written in plain, normal, uh, everyday voices. Let's listen to a few masters of voice. Uh, a few sentences from well-known and well-regarded novels. Listen to how different, how differently they sound, how the distinctive voices lend an aura to the stories. Here's Mark, Fain, uh, Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn. I felt good and all washed clean of sin for the first time I had ever felt so in my life, and I knowed I could pray now, but I didn't do it straight off, but laid the paper down and sat there thinking. Thinking how good it was, all this happened so, and how near I come to being lost and going to hell. And went on thinking, and got to thinking over our trip down the river, and I see Jim before me all the time, in the day and in the night time, sometimes moonlight, sometimes storms, and we a-floating along, talking and singing and laughing. But somehow I couldn't seem to strike no places to harden me against him, but only the other kind. I'd see him standing my watch on top of his'n instead of calling me so I could go on sleeping, and see him how glad he was when I come back out of the fog, and when I come to him again in the swamp up there where the feud was, and such like times, and would always call me honey, and pet me, and do everything he could think of for me, 
and how good he always was, and at last I struck the time I saved him by telling the men we had smallpox aboard. And he was so grateful, and said I was the best friend old Jim ever had in the world, and the only one he's got now. And then I happened to look around and see that paper. That's Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn. What a distinctive voice. That's Huckleberry Finn talking to us, and he sounds like Huckleberry Finn. Here is another master of voice. It's Charles Dickens from Great Expectations. Listen to the voice. As soon as the great black velvet pall outside my little window was shot with gray, I got up and went downstairs, every board upon the way and every crack in every board calling after me, Stop, thief, and get up, Mrs. Joe. In the pantry, which was far more abundantly supplied than usual, owing to the season, I was very much alarmed by the hair hanging up by the heels, whom I rather thought I caught, when my back was half-turned, winking. I had no time for verification, no time for selection, no time for anything, for I, I had no time to spare. I stole some bread, some rind of cheese, about half a jar of mincemeat, which I tied up in my pocket handkerchief with my last night's slice, some brandy from a stone bottle, which I decanted into a glass bottle I had secretly used for making that intoxicating fluid, Spanish licorice water, up in my room, diluting the stone bottle from a jug in the kitchen cupboard, a meat bone with very little on it, and a beautiful round compact pork pie. I was nearly going away without the pie, but I was tempted to mount upon a shelf to look what it was that was put away so carefully in a covered earthenware dish in a corner, and I found it was pie, and I took it in the hope that it was not intended for early use and would not be missed for some time. That's Charles Dickens in Great Expectations. That, by the way, is my favorite novel, Great Expectations. Here is Sue Townsend from The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, age 13 and three quarters. Listen to the voice. My father got the dog drunk on cherry brandy at the party last night. If the RSPCA hear about it, he could get done. Eight days have gone by since Christmas Day, but my mother still hasn't worn the, the green Lurex apron I bought her for Christmas. She will get bath cubes next year. Just my luck. I've got a spot on my chin for the first day of New Year. I felt rotten today. It's my mother's fault for singing my way at two o'clock in the morning at the top of the stairs. Just my luck to have a mother like her. There is a chance my parents could be alcoholics. Next year I could be in a children's home. That's Sue Townsend in The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, age 13 and three quarters. Sure doesn't sound like Mark Twain or Charles Dickens, but it's a wonderful voice. Here is another voice, Patrick O'Brien, from his novel, Post Captain, the second in the second novel in the Aubrey Matron series. Listen to Patrick O'Brien's voice. At first dawn, the swaths of rain drifting eastwards across the channel parted long enough to show that the chase had altered course. The Charwell had been in her wake most of the night, running seven knots in spite of her foul bottom, and now they were not much above a mile and a half apart. The ship ahead was turning, 
turning, coming up into the wind, and the silence along the frigate's decks took on a new quality as every man aboard saw her two rows of gun ports come into view. This was the first clear sight they had of her since the lookout hailed the deck in the growing darkness to report a ship hull down on the horizon, one point off the larboard bow. That's Patrick O'Brien in his wonderful voice. Here's another voice from Janet Ivanovich in her novel Lean, Mean, Thirteen. So what did this guy do? Lula was in the passenger seat of the Rangers KN, looking through Stuart Hansen's file. It just says control substance here. Who wrote this? It don't tell you anything. I turned in onto Myrtle and drove by the house. It looked benign. Small cottage, small plot of land, indistinguishable from every other house on the street. Christmas lights still up, outlining the front door, not lit. I circled the block and parked on the a house down. Lula and I got out and walked up to Stuart Hansen's house. That's Janet Ivanovich. Aren't these wonderful? Aren't these voices a strong attraction to these stories? Uh, let me offer a thought on writing with a distinctive voice. If your novel needs a distinctive voice, use it. If your main character in, in a first-person novel is a 13-year-old boy with a short horizon, as in The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, that's likely a good story to develop a distinctive voice for your character. If your protagonist is a madman such as in Poe's The Telltale Heart, that's a good place to create a distinctive voice. Or maybe your hero is a flat-foot detective in Los Angeles in 1940. Uh, there, too, a noir voice would work, like Raymond Chandler's. But if your novel doesn't need a distinctive voice, and, and most novels don't, just write the novel in your own voice, you, the author's voice. Uh, that is, the voice that you think in and speak in. Sure, your sentences in the story will likely need some crafting. You'll have worked on the sentences, but it'll likely be your own voice. It's, it's probably perfect for the needs of your story. Uh, in short, you likely won't need to think about your writing voice and should have confidence in it. It'll work well for your story. I'd like to talk about flashbacks. A flashback is backstory told in real time. It is a scene that happened before the time of the first page of the novel, and it's told with dialogue, settings, and everything else a scene has. Uh, flashbacks are much beloved by new writers. Uh, to zip back in time is something we can't do in real life, but in a novel, we aren't constrained by the clock and calendar, so back in time we go for a, a nifty flashback. Flashbacks are used sometimes by new writers for no other reason that they can, but they shouldn't. For the same reason that backstory should be minimal, flashbacks slow the story actually flashbacks entirely stop the story, 
and usually they're much more interesting to the writer than the reader. There are exceptions, just as there are exceptions to everything else in writing. Sometimes flashbacks help a reader understand the character or the conflict. I want to be clear about what I mean by a flashback, as there's some confusion on, uh, about them. A flashback tells about an episode that occurred before the novel began. Uh, a flashback typically happened before page one of the novel, before the clock started on the story now on page one. Uh, a flashback is where the story stops and a scene from earlier is inserted. The flashback scene is told in real time, moment by moment. It's told with descriptions and dialogue and most everything else that's, that's to be found in the main part of the novel. Uh, the main part of the novel is the story now. A flashback creates a new story now, earlier in the protagonist's history. Uh, the reader experiences a flashback in real time. A flashback has the elements of a scene, a protagonist, a goal, obstacles, and often a resolution, all within the confines of a flashback. A flashback meets Jack Bickham's definition of a scene, which is, it's a segment of story action written moment by moment, without summary, presented on stage in the story now. In a flashback, the story now is earlier. Uh, this segment of story action in the flashback occurred earlier than page one of the story. Uh, this is as opposed to backstory. There's some thinking that a flashback is backstory, and it is, in that a flashback occurs before the story's first page. But backstory, as I mean it here, is a summary of events that happened before the novel's first page. It's usually... It usually isn't set out in real time with the elements of a scene, but rather is uh, something of a bullet point of events. Uh, a summary is a concise version of something that happened earlier. It reads like a report, not like a scene. Uh, here's what I mean about a flashback. I'm going to read the last several sentences of a scene in the main part of a novel, in the story now. This is live action in our story. Keep your elbows down, Coach Jacobs leaned against the ropes. They protect your ribs and belly. Keep them down, Jeff. Jeff threw two jabs, then followed it with a left hook and caught Dobie on the ear, and the sparring partner's knees buckled. Then he managed to grip a rope and yell, I quit. He spat out, his mouth guard into a glove. I ain't getting into the ring with him again. He's supposed to be sparring, yet he nails me. The coach held up a ring rope so Dobie could climb out. Then he turned to Jeff. I told you to pull your punches when sparring, didn't I? You laid into Dobie. Jeff patted his mitts together. Can't be helped, coach. If someone steps into the ring with me, I'm after him. That's the end of the scene. Our... Uh, manuscript is double-spaced, of course. After the last line of the uh, scene, uh, do a double space, and on that new line, center the cursor and put four ellipses on that line. The ellipses are centered on the line. Uh, th this alerts the reader that the, the scene has ended. 
then do another double space and, and start the flashback. So there are four spaces between the end of the scene and the new flashback. Here we go with the flashback. Mom, Doug is hitting me, Jeff called. Doug hollered, I'm not hitting him, he's hitting me. He thinks he's Muhammad Ali. Carol said from the kitchen, Doug, don't slug your little brother, he's only eight. I'm not hitting him, Doug laughed. He's hitting me. Be careful, Jeff, or I'm going to pop you. You don't have all of Ali's moves yet. Here, it's part of a flashback. It's immediate right away that Jeff, the story's protagonist, is now only eight years old. The reader has jumped back in time uh, 20 years or so. Uh, Notice, too, that the flashback is told in real time as if the reader is right there watching and listening. Uh, A flashback is different than a summary. A summary would have been something like this. When Jeff was eight years old, he and his brother Doug would spar, Jeff pretending he was Muhammad Ali. Uh, Notice that this summary is an after-action report. It's not in real time. A summary has, has the benefit of getting across a lot of information quickly. But it isn't told in real time and, and so might not be as interesting as a flashback. Here are some thoughts on using flashbacks. The first thought is that sometimes they can add a terrific element to a story. Uh, We get to see the characters earlier, maybe in their formative years, or maybe when they made an important decision. Uh, When we have a good character, readers like seeing the character before the character was fully formed. Uh, A second thought, make sure the flashback is important to the story. it should be relevant to the story. If the story would be just as complete without the flashback, we probably should skip the flashback. Uh, And I don't mean to be harsh here, but one of the reasons new writers use flashbacks is that they can. We, We can't fiddle with time in real life, but in fiction, why not? We should resist the urge uh, if the main reason for the flashback is to have fun in a literary time machine. The flashback should be important to the story. Uh, The third thought, your flashback should probably be a scene with a a beginning, a middle, including an obstacle and an end, much like a scene in our story now. A fourth uh, thought, flashbacks shouldn't be confused with a framing device where an old person usually looks back on his life. Uh, We see him as an old person in the prologue or first chapter, and the novel, the bulk of the novel, is his story as a younger fellow, and we meet him again at the end, maybe the epilogue, where he's old again. Uh, An example is Thomas Berger's wonderful novel, A Little Big Man, and uh, Alan Garanis's The Oldest Living Confederate Widow Tells All. Here's a fifth thought. Uh, We writers should make sure that the reader knows the reader has entered a flashback. Otherwise, the jump back in time can be confusing. In the first sentence or two of the flashback, somehow alert the reader that the story is now back in time. Uh, I did so in the example I read a moment ago by mentioning that Jeff, who we've seen for the entire story at age 28, is now age 8. Uh, You could even use a header, something like April 6, 1996. Uh, 
same, the, the same is true when we return to the main story, clearly indicate in a sentence or two that the reader is now back in the story now. Here is a sixth thought about flashbacks. We should make sure that the reason we are inventing a flashback isn't because we don't have enough plot in this story now. If that's the case, instead of coming up with a flashback, we should concentrate on developing the plot, the main plot, in the story now. That's likely the most important part of the novel and the part most interesting to, to the reader. Here's a seventh thought. Uh, the caution you've heard me mention against putting backstory too early in a story applies to flashbacks. Uh, we should remember that the flashback is backstory, events that happened before the story began. Readers mostly want to see what will happen, not what has happened. So the key is to not have a lot of flashbacks in the novel and to make them fairly short. Uh, make sure the story is well underway before stopping the story, and that's what a flashback does. It stops the story to add a flashback. I don't know your story, of course, but your first flashback probably shouldn't appear before page 50, plus or minus. Get the story going. going. Uh, an eighth and last thought. We should make sure the flashback doesn't slow the pace of the story too much. We want tension in our novel, all novels, even literary and romance. We want tension. Obstacles and enemies should always be applying pressure on our protagonist. We should make sure that the flashback doesn't interrupt the pace. Uh, a main way to do this is to make sure the flashbacks are infrequent and are short. That's it for this time. I'm sure glad you were along for this episode. I'll see you next time. Until then, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys.